Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with your host, Dr. Fuck from Thrasher Die and Combat, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. So it's time to fucking get the wax out of your fucking ears. That's right, we say fuck a lot. Right here on the Rock and Metal Combat fucking podcast. What do you hear? What do you say? I've been looking at too much Sopranos lately, and it is another uh, exciting episode of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. As you can hear the beer cracking, as always. That is Ian. He's drunk as hell, and I'm Doctor Fuck. How you doing, Ian? Oh yes, indeed. I, I am drunk, and I'm ready for our year-end closeout sale. That's this right. Awesome. Oh, this is the. Is this the last show? No, it is. Yes, yes. This is the last show of 2014. Yes, it is, and we're going out with a fucking bang. Yeah, man. What an interesting year it's been for me. Let me tell you, close to death. And uh, now kicking everybody's ass. I, I, I'll tell you what, this, this year, when people look back on this shit, they're going to remember a world divided. That in 2014, there was two types of people. People who poured water on their fucking head, and people who listened to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. That's it. That's right. That's, you're either one or the other. Exactly. True story. So, you know... Uh, Let's get out of the crib and into the in, uh, where the big boys are. No baby stuff here. Anything going on there, Ian? All right. Uh, funny you should ask, because uh, we got a lot in current events today. Um, first of all, let's let, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I I, I need to get this out there. The uh, yeah, but but is it a pink elephant? Yes. Yes. No, it's because you've been elephant. drinking. I can't. I don't see it. Yeah, no, 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 I see it. All right, as I said, this year is going to be remembered as you either poured water on your fucking head or you were a fan of the hottest podcast in the land. And thanks to you guys, thanks to our newfound success, Ralph and I were going to make our major motion picture debut. That is right. I I, I actually, I forgot to talk to you about this uh, when we first uh, got the, the, we signed the contracts and stuff. Uh, I know I was supposed to call you back, but... Uh, right. Well, yeah. I, I, I read the emails. I found out about it. But the problem is, an angry former co-host hacked our email. you got to be kidding me. No, and he, he found out two things. First, he found out that, you know, we went behind his back and took part in a focus group where... Um, 100% of our listeners recommended we replace them with a block of wood. That's right. Oh, he found yeah. out about that. Yeah, he found out about that. And then he also found out that we were going to have a very big part in Sony Pictures, the interview. That's right. So well, awesome. he, he freaked out about this shit. He's got, you know, uh, uh, the Crib Podcast has like four listeners, and uh, and they're all Korean. So no, he they're, all, they're all on the show. Yeah, <laughs> and he asked him to help out, and you know, unfortunately, you know, he hacked our email, Sony Pictures, started this big fucking shit to stop, you know, our movie from coming out because he knew it wasn't about Seth Rogen or James Franco. He knew that you and me were going to be the breakout stars of the interview, and he did whatever he could to stop it. But the good news is, there is a small portion of independent theaters that are going to show our movie. I hope we don't get edited out. 
But, uh, you know, the interview will be released on Christmas Day in select theaters. So that's, that's awesome. So, so uh, Baldini couldn't uh, stop it. No, 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 no. The terrorists did not prevail. Hmm. We are going to get out there, and in 2015 will be the year of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. You can bet your ass on that. And with that, let's get into current events because we do have some other great stories going on uh, this week in the world of hard rock and heavy metal. That's right. Before, and we have announced it, before we get into our album review, which is far beyond driven by Pantera, by popular demand. A lot of people wanted us to talk about Pantera. Oh, yeah. And I believe Ian picked this album, and I love all Pantera, so I said, you know, whatever. Whichever album I'll, I'll, I'll dwell into, because I'm a huge fan of Pantera and a huge fan of Glam Terra. I like all their stuff. Oh, hell yeah. So, uh, what's in the news this week? All right. Well, first of all, as you guys are going to hear this on Sunday uh, the 28th, but we are recording this on Christmas Eve. I'm all hopped up on fucking eggnog. Well, not so much the egg, but plenty of the nog. Uh, this is the 69th birthday of Mr. Lemmy. Ian Kilmeister. Yeah. And, uh, and how about a fucking round? Hell yeah. Lemmy, Lemmy is fucking 69, ladies and gentlemen. That That's is fucking right. He made it, man. That's awesome. And a lot of listeners don't know this, but Lemmy is a close personal friend of mine. You know, one time we're drinking, he, he says, I told him, I'm going to tell you the three secrets of life. He goes, number one, never stop drinking. So number two, never listen to an album where Sammy Hagar's singing. Nice. And number, th- and number three, never stop drinking. And I live by those rules. But uh, everybody loves rock and roll out there. Fucking raise your glasses and toast, Mr. Lemmy Kilmeister, because that some bitch is rock and roll through and through. That's right, the real, the epitome of rock and roll. He's like the living Bon Scott. I, you yeah. got, you gotta yes. love the guy. And if you don't love him, you just don't like rock and roll, man. Uh, I agree. Not, nothing around to it. And yeah, I know a lot of people out there that don't like Motorhead, but. The fact is, is that, you know, I don't like you. So, uh, and, and is that we got more news, don't we? Oh, yeah. Okay. Another thing that's gone viral this week. Oh, my God. Uh, and and I, I'm embarrassed for this man. I, I, I really am. He is my favorite member of KISS, even though the last couple of years he's really been kind of a fucking oh, douche. Oh, God. Yeah, I know what French. you're talking about. But, uh... <laughs> They uh they released a never aired Folgers commercial by Mr. Paul Stanley. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, where apparently the best part of waking up is creepy fucking Paul Stanley in with a circus background and doing some David Copperfield magic. And oh my god, it is absolutely wretched. I, I'm embarrassed as a Kiss fan. Like the people make fun of me for being a Kiss fan. This like is another bullet in their gun. Even though I got Teflon on and you ain't gonna fucking hurt me, uh, yeah, it does suck. What do you think, Ralph? Have you seen this shit? I did see it. When I first saw it, I go, is that Paul Stanley or Frodo from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> and uh, another thing, I go, what is this, an outtake from from uh, You Make Me Rock Hard? Like, you know, I mean, we all know, I mean, anybody that knows Paul Stanley, the guy spends a lot of time on a psychiatrist's couch. And he's got issues. Like, I remember something about him playing Madison Square Garden. Then after the show, he eating a hoagie alone at some sub place in New York. Uh, I think Paul Stanley suffers from keeping that gay person in him. Because the guy, he's like gay, but 
but he doesn't do gay stuff. He's married, he goes for chicks, and I think he, one of the issue he is, he's fighting, he's fighting his gayness. And, uh, and I know some people out there going, oh God, this guy's a homophobe. No, no, listen, I'm not a homophobe. It's that you're too politically correct, and you should go to the toilet and put your head in the water and don't come up. <laughs> well, that was pretty bad. And the funniest thing is, uh, the reason it wasn't released was uh, a focus group watched it. You know, they they make these commercials. They show people like, "Hey, would this make you want to buy?" You know, our product. And the overwhelming response from the focus group was, "Who is this creepy old guy?" <laughs> because nobody knew it was Paul. You know, you know, without the makeup, like Ace did the Dunkin' Donuts commercial while he's wearing. You know, if he didn't have the makeup on, probably everybody would be, "Who the fuck is that?" You know, most people that watch fucking commercials. You know, but, you know, that's why I got shelved. You know, is he gay or isn't he gay? I could give a fuck less. Yeah, I don't care. I really no, 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 don't no, no. care. Yeah, right, but, right. But my I mean, point I mean, is, the guy is, you know, he, he's fighting it. You can okay, tell in that commercial. If he was truly gay, he would have done Broadway. Oh, wait a minute. He did Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, but that was, that was off-Broadway. See again, uh, again he's fighting it. <laughs> he he did it. He did it all the way in Canada. It was way off Broadway. Okay, so he's not gay. He just has limited options. Yeah. <laughs> but enough about that sword swallower. Uh, we're gonna go <laughs> into our, our last story. Uh, there is two pictures coming down the pike about somebody we both love and hopefully you gotta love. If you don't love. You're a piece of shit. Bon Scott. The oh, yeah. Bon Scott. Now, there's a documentary coming out that's going to focus solely on the years 1970 through 1974. Really? And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's all it's about, but it's about, like, you know, uh, the hungry years of Bon Scott, you know, him building up to right before he joined ACDC, what made him into the man he, you know, he became. Wow. What shaped him. I think that's interesting. I mean, I would love a whole retrospective. I'll but I take anything. Right, right. I think the reason why they're doing this is because also coming out is a full-blown biopic about Bon Scott's life that's supposed to cover everything, you know, uh, up until his, his death. And uh, I don't know who's playing him. Uh, boy, they got fucking some hard shoes to fill right there. Uh, I remember I years ago they were saying that a possibility that it would have been his son. Bon Scott has oh, a son. Uh, and they were talking about, wow. you know, his son was going to play him, but I never heard anything after that. Well, you, you know, Bon Scott, I mean, uh, uh, Val Kilmer did good in the doors. Maybe Val Kilmer could do it. I don't know. No, Val Kilmer's uh, gained a lot of weight. I don't know if he's seen No, that no, he's, he actually lost a lot oh, of weight. Oh, he probably show. got gained weight for a movie, right? No, well, no, I think he just got old and fat, but he, he said, uh, you know, they showed pictures he lost a lot of weight. Uh, love Val Kilmer. But anyway, I don't know who's going to play Bon Scott, but God damn it, you better not do a fucking hack job, because the man's a goddamn legend, and, and, and a true legend, a true legend that deserves all the accolades and the praise. Uh, there, there is, I don't know if there's anything more rock and roll, you know, besides Lemmy no. than motherfucking Bon Scott. No, no, I think Bon Scott's even more rock and roll than Lemmy. I mean, I mean Ooh, yeah, yeah uh, they're, they're at par. Okay, I'll put them at par. But man, Bon yeah. Scott was just... You got you got to look at. I mean, because I've read um, I've read books on the guy, and he has lived a life of like a, a, a hundred year old, and he only lived to 
32, I believe, and he, he just had so much happen in his short life that it's unbelievable. Like, you know, all the way to, like, you know, he he envisioned ACDC to be the biggest band in the world. And he was right, but it happened, like, a year after he died. But he was yeah. right. He said ACDC was going to headline Madison Square Garden. And he was right, you know? He thought they were going to have a number one album. He was right. He, all the predictions came true, except I don't think he knew he was going to be dead when that happened. But Highway to Hell, they were they, they were right there. They were poised to hit the top. They were right. I mean, they were, already, they were already starting to headline smaller venues in America, big arenas in Europe. They made a name for themselves. They worked hard. That band is a hard, hard working band. And they've earned everything that they got. Bon Scott got him there. And it's a shame he died. I remember when he died. It was a very sad day. And um, I know I've said this before and I'll say it again. Bon Scott to me is my biggest inspiration when I write songs. Because I don't think anybody wrote cooler lyrics than Bon Scott. And every time I write lyrics, I have him in mind. And I, you know, I'm like, oh man. Then always, when I'm done with my lyrics, I'm satisfied with them. But I'm always like... It's still not as good as Bon Scott. Because nobody can touch that guy. He was the greatest lyricist, poet, whatever you want. Like a dirtbag poet. A street poet, you know. I want to recite lyrics from Bon Scott for a second. To show you the genius. How he not only... It wasn't only Moon, June, Spoon like kind of rhymes. He would like intertwine lyrics that were incredible. And this is a line from a song called Ain't No Fun Waiting Around to Be a Millionaire. And these lyrics are just so genius. It says, I got patches on my patches, on my old blue jeans. Well, they used to be new when they used to be blue, when they used to be clean. How genius is that? Okay? That's all I got to say about that. Bon Scott rules. That is, see, personally, I think you set your standards too high because when I try to write lyrics, I think of Brett Michaels. That way, yeah. even if I write a shitty song, you're it comes better. out pretty fucking good. Yeah, you're always no, it comes out better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm like you know, I'm like Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I, I love Bon Scott. I really hope they don't fuck this shit up. I, I really hope this is something that pays tribute. I hope it brings even more attention because you know, there's a lot of people out there. As much as you think, like, how do people not know Bon Scott? There's a lot of motherfuckers out there that only know the Brian Johnson shit. I mean, realistically. They don't know that much about the shit before him. And uh, I hope this shed lights on it, you know, because uh, he deserves it. Do you know if uh, ACDC is any way behind any of these movies? I want to say no. I want I want to say no, uh, but I could be wrong. Don't hold me to this. I, I, I don't think they're involved, but I think his family might be involved. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure, man. I drink a lot. I don't know. You're lucky I know the shit's even coming out. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, I, I enjoy your your, your um, little news things in the beginning of our podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that that's all I got for now. I, I don't even have a timetable. I don't know when this shit's coming out. But you know, if, if you're interested, Google the shit. You know, and and, and check it out. And uh, man, if it comes out to the theaters, unlike our movie, which you know you're gonna have trouble seeing. Hopefully, you don't have trouble seeing. The Bon Scott documentary and the Bon Scott biopic. Our movie's going straight to, straight to VHS. Yes, 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 straight to beta. And, uh, oh, here's another thing. Um, actually, hey, for the first time ever, I got news. Uh-oh. Um, 
in the world of Megadeth. Uh, Dave Mustaine just came out and said, our fans are going to be very happy with what we have because supposedly they have uh, their lineup already done. They got a guitar player and drummer. They're just not saying who it is. There's actual footage of Ellison in the studio playing with the drummer, but the drummer's not in the video, just hear him playing. So uh, that's my short little tidbit on Megadeth. They already got a lineup. I did say, I got a feeling it's Matt Sorum. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's it's Matt Sorum and the guy from Good Charlotte. It's gonna be terrible. Wow. Yeah, it's gonna be terrible. Oh well. Well It's gonna be me- it's gonna be mega dead. It's over. It's over. Put a fucking fork in it. And like a lot of people may not know that at one time Dimebag was gonna be the guitar player oh, for yeah. Megadeth before Marty Friedman. Yes and sir. And the Dimebag refused because he said, I'll do it, but you gotta bring my brother. And they already had Nick Menza said no, and that's why Dombag didn't do it. Which is a good segue to our review this week. Hell yeah! So we're ready for it? I'm fucking ready. For me, the very first heavy, heavy, heavy album to debut at number one. Yes, Skid Row did it a year or two before with Slave to the Grind. Great album. Uh, who else? Um, ACDC for those about the rock, Quiet Riot. Well, they didn't all debut at number one, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Made it to number one. They made it to number one, but this one, like, wow. I mean, they, you gotta, you know, for 1994, a metal album to reach number one was unheard of because metal at that time was taboo and and and, and a heavy heavy thrash metal like album. I mean, I mean, just, you put this album on, the first note, it's like, holy crap. It's like, it's like, uh, being at a horse track and opening the gates. It's like, no fucking build up. It's like, there's something. I mean, it's just out of this fucking gate. Great damn album. I love the hell out of Far Beyond Driven. Big Pantera fan at the time. I discovered them very late, like most people on Cowboys from Hell. I wasn't aware of power metal. Um, and, you know, I went back and I, I found, I think at that time I only had power metal. I didn't know I Am the Night and Projects and Metal Magic till, uh the internet came along and Napster came along. And that's how I finally got to hear Glam Terror, which I ended up liking too. Now, power metal was mind-blowing. They first got Phil... And it was, you know, I mean, a lot of people always point at that one as, oh, I love power metal, but nobody talks about I Am The Night. And I Am The Night is pretty much power metal part one. It has uh, elements of the first two fusing into it. And then after that, Cowboys From Hell is where they finally found their sound, kind of. There was still a little bit of the power metal in there. Um, The next one, Vulgar Display of Power. That's where I feel like was the first Pantera album, full-blown Pantera that everybody ended up loving. Uh, and then after, and that's what built them up. And I saw them on that tour hand skid row their ass. I never seen a band blow away a headliner. And I love skid row. I do love skid row, but man, Pantera destroyed them badly. And um, Pantera to me was like the best. They were like the Van Halen of the 90s because Van Halen to me they were the seminal live band nobody can touch them and in the 90s 
It was Pantera. Nobody can touch Pantera live. Every time I saw Pantera live, which was like maybe seven, eight times, they never, ever gave a bad show. They always ruled, killed. And then they were far beyond driven, man. When they hit number one, it was like justice. I loved it. And we will get into the songs right after we hear what Ian has to say about it. Uh, well, Pantera means fucking everything to me. Uh, I honestly believe that they were the last uh, band to evolve metal, to take it to another level. I don't think anybody's picked up the torch since then. Uh, when I first discovered them, it was either in Hit Parader or fucking uh, Metal Edge or Circus or, you know, whatever, you know, I was buying at the time. I saw an ad for fucking Power Metal. And I saw that cover, I saw Phil's hair, and I'm like... Wow, look at these bitches. And that's why, you know, I you know, I was listening to Faster Pussycat this time and I thought these guys look bad. <laughs> you know, and kinda like, ah, I ain't buying that shit. You know, I never saw a video on MTV or anything like that. But uh my buddy, I've mentioned it a million times, Bo Handy, always had, you know, his ear to the underground, always turned me on to new shit before it was hip or cool. Handed me the C D for Cowboys from Hell. He's like, This this is the new shit. You know, this is fucking heavy. This is going to be what takes over. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. You know, I saw the album cover, kind of funny. I opened up the disc, and it was pink. <laughs> you know, it was like pink and black. I'm like, oh, how heavy can it be? It's a fucking pink CD. Is it going to sound like Vinnie Vincent? And I, and I heard it, and I was like, holy fucking shit. Was this fucking heavy? And uh, Cowboys had been out for a while, but... Uh, I got into them, and I actually got to see them right before Vulgar came out. And just like, oh my god. But, you know, Cowboys, you know, like I said, the first one I listened to. And just, you know, Phil never sounded like that again. You know, you know that Rob Halford-esque scream, and then the groovy fucking just... It was so different, and so like, wow. I mean, you gotta think, this is the same time like fucking Slaughter's huge right now. You know, and this shit's coming out, and it just blew my fucking mind. And you said you saw him with Skid Row. I saw him with Skid Row, too. And uh, this was at Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, one of the greatest venues of all fucking time. And I can't remember who opened up, but I do know on the bill was Pantera, then Megadeth, then Skid Row. And this is what really pisses me off. Megadeth put out a video for... I want to say High Speed Dirt or some fucking shit like that. It was some some shit song off a of fucking Countdown for Extinction. And they show a fucking pit. I was at the show. The pit that's recorded that is in that video was for fucking Pantera. Wow. It was, it was not for Megadeth. The minute I saw this video, me and my buddy, we were at the show. We're watching Headbangers Ball. We see the video. We're like, that wasn't during Megadeth because by the time Megadeth came on, uh, the sun was going down. It was dark. They show a pit in the daylight that was insane. That shit was for fucking Pantera. And I'll never get... We were in the lawn seats. That's all we could afford at the time. We were high schoolers. And there's, a, there's you know, a concrete walkway going down the lawn at Alpine Valley. And hand railings. The kids grabbed the hand railings and shook them so hard, they busted them from the fucking concrete, dude. Wow. I was there. Saw this fucking shit. Ripped the handrail out of the fucking concrete and threw that shit. 
people went fucking nuts for Pantera. And this was, like I said, this, and this was right, either right before or right after Vulgar came out, but I want to say right before. It was right but, before, well, when I saw them, it was right yeah. before, but they played fucking Hostile and Mouth of War. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I still yeah. have, I have the set list. Right, yes. I, I do know at this show they did play songs from Vulgar. Uh, but, yeah, I, and I was so like, Megadeth, you fucking bitches. How dare you put somebody else's pit in your fucking video? And, oh, by, by the way, uh, the video you're talking about was for uh, Skin of My Teeth. But, oh, is that what it is? Okay. But there's two videos. Uh, there is a High Speed Dirt from the same show. But that oh, was okay. never aired on MTV. That's on one of their home videos. But... Uh, Skin of My Teeth is the one that was give, was shown on uh, Headbangers Ball. Yes, I know exactly the video. You're okay, about. well, wh- wh- whatever they when they show the pit in the fucking lawn, like I said, they stole that shit. It was the same concert, but it was while Pantera was fucking playing. What a uh, 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 amazing, amazing! And I will say, it's funny that was the first time I saw Skid Row, and I fucking hated, hated Skid Row. Really. It, until that show. Yeah, here's the funny thing. I liked Warrant, but didn't like Skid Row. Man, me the opposite. I never liked Warrant. Right, well, I, I don't know. I just, it, it, later when I heard, uh, I know we're getting off topic here, but later when I heard the Skid Row album, I loved it, but I never liked 18 of Life. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't like Youth Gone Wild, and I hated 18 of Life. And I remember you. I really hated those two songs. And it wasn't until later on, after I saw Pan, uh, saw Skid Row live, I was like, well, they were pretty fucking good. Plus, they played Cold Gin. And at that point, I was such a Kiss fanatic. Any band that plays fucking Kiss, I'm like, okay, you'll get a pass. Yeah. You'll get a pass. I, I still remember I had a Hit Parader. You know, I used to get Hit Parader religiously. Had uh, uh, Sebastian Bach on the cover, and I drew like a little like cartoon bubble, and I put, I swore to suck on it because I hated fucking the Skid Row ballad so bad. But uh, live, live, they changed my mind. They they were incredibly. Oh, heavy. they were good. I, oh I, yeah, but oh, but I oh, thought I, Pantera owned them. I, oh oh oh, definitely Pantera owned the whole day. But I, I give credit where credits due, man. Skid Row made me a fan that day. They they were really fucking good. But anyway, let's get back to Pantera. Uh, like I said, just the most amazing band of the '90s by far. By far, they yes. owned the '90s. And yes. and like I said, the same way you know. Black Sabbath created metal. Uh, then you got Van Halen changed metal, and you know, and, and, and then there was a fucking everything that came after Van Halen were fucking you know imitations of fucking Van Halen. Everybody was an imitation of Van Halen in the fucking eighties, except for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I mean they kind of harken back to the Aerosmith Stones kind of. They vibe. weren't doing nothing original. I know what you mean. Van right. Halen was original. Right. Sabbath and, and, was original. And, and to me. Pantera created something and they proudly, proudly wore the metal patch when everybody wanted to distance themselves from it. You know, uh, they said fuck you, we're metal and how anybody anybody who loves true metal I'm mean, I mean, okay, there's some people that like hard rock okay, and I can get Pantera might not be your bag if you just like hard rock like if your version of heavy metal is kissing Van Halen and that's as heavy as you like to get, I get it but if you like true metal and you don't like Pantera, you're fucking nuts. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people like that. Yeah, and and, he, and here's my thing: like, like even some of your band members, correct? Yeah, don't yeah. like Pantera. My band members, 
Except okay. for, uh, well, now, no, no, no. The original lineup on Poser Holocaust, it was only me. Okay, well, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. You're in a thrash band. You're the only one that likes Pantera. Wow. So, so my question is, did Phil really fuck all of your band's girlfriends? Because that's the only reason they could hate on Pantera. It, it, because that shit is metal as a motherfucker. How can you hate on Pantera? Well, I'll tell you their excuse, and, and it's it's ridiculous. It shows you what morons I have in my band. And don't and no, I'm not saying this behind their back. I've said it to their face. The reason they don't like Pantera is because so many copycat bands, and I will agree 100% with them, that copy Pantera sucks so bad, so horribly. The breakdowns, and you know the the, 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 the you know. It, they just all did it so piss poor that they pretty much changed people's way of music. Like all the bands after Pantera, even the bands that we love, that like I'll give you an example, like Overkill, they started throwing in a little groove in their stuff. Still loved it, but they didn't go Pantera. They didn't do the breakdowns. But yeah, they got a little groovy. A lot of the thrash bands went groove. You know, they didn't they didn't stick to the pure thrash and. The problem with Pantera, with these twats, is that they spawned a bunch of craptacular bands, and therefore, that's why they hate Pantera. Well, they don't like Pantera to start with, but they even have hold a bigger grudge. And I'll even go a little further, okay? There's this one guy, and I don't delete anybody from my Facebook, I don't. And I ha- still haven't deleted this guy. But this guy is such a moron, that he actually said, I'm glad Dime got killed. For the atrocity, oh, fuck him. For the atrocity he did to metal. Oh, fuck him. Now, let me explain something. There's nobody I despise more in music than Scott Weiland. Sorry, STP fans, Velvet Revolver, whatever. I can't stand that guy. No, I love I, Scott Weiland. I think he is the biggest <laughs> poser, and he fakes his drug addiction. He always gets busted right before an album comes out. It's all mean. It's all fucking... I mean, he's smart, but I think he sucks. He's trying to be David Bowie. Whatever. That's just my personal opinion. Anybody out there that does like uh, Scott Weiland, I have no problem with you, unless your name's Ian. So here's my point. Here's my point. If he was to die, I wouldn't be happy about it. I think it would be fucking sad because the guy's got a mom and dad, I guess, a wife, a kid, whatever. This is a human being. If he makes shitty music, he does not deserve to die. You know who deserves to die? People that are happy. That Dimebag died because of the music. You have no love for life, and you're a fucking, you're a fucking idiot. Screw you, screw you, and screw you, Scott Weiland. Any? Okay, thank you. All right, so. Uh, but uh, oh, know, no, I, by I, the I, way, I, no offense. Ian. I yeah, none taken. Hey, like I said, I, I don't remember half the shit you say anyway. I'm too drunk. But uh, you know, like hating Pantera for that is makes about as much sense as since it's hating Led Zeppelin because you don't like fucking Great White. Or or hating Van Halen because of Warren. Yeah, I, I mean, come on, people. Fucking great. Like, guys, if, if you really... If, Pantera's metal is fuck, and if you can't appreciate the genius of that, I, I, don't, I don't know how much I can help you. That's like somebody who would take fucking Van Hagar over Van Halen. Even I can't help you. And I got magic powers. I also want to say there are a couple of people out there that are really into metal and they're no bullshit that don't like Pantera, but they appreciate what they did for metal. 
Yeah, fuck them too. No, they actually said, I appreciate what they did for Metal, so there, I give them a pass. Hey, man, we all can't like the same. I love Pantera. I'm on your team, bro. But, you know, I can understand if somebody doesn't like Pantera, okay, that's their thing. But to be happy that uh, that Dime died or to hate them because they spawned a bunch of crappy bands, they're moron. Let's get into the first goddamn track of this awesome album, and that is fucking Strength Beyond Strength. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> like you said, out the fucking gate. Kicks you right in the fucking teeth. Man, I remember walking out of fucking Chicago Records, where I bought everything in beautiful downtown Kinky, Illinois. Uh, putting this in the CD player, and wow. Blown away. You know, after fucking Vulgar, they really made a name for themselves. Like, okay, are they going to do like Metallica? Like, hey, we got some fans. Let's sell out and get even more fans. No, they went even fucking heavier. And it's just, what a great fucking song. And this album sounds so good. We got to give props to fucking Terry Date. Incredible producer. The guitars, the drums, the bass, the vocals, everything sounds so good in your face and clean yet abrasive at the same fucking time. What a fucking album opener. Strict Beyond Strength. That's a fucking 10 out of fucking 10. What do you think, Ralph? Uh, uh, before I get into what I feel about the song, I, I used to have a, a friend of mine called Nick Brote who disappeared off the face of the earth. And anybody that knows Nick Brode, please get him in contact with me. Um, the first time, I, uh, the thing I remember the most about this song was the first time I played him Far Beyond Driven. I put it on. And when far, Strength Beyond Strength came on, he goes, dude, put on track one. He didn't. He's like, I go, that is track one. He's like, dude, <laughs> dude, the album starts like this? I was like, yeah, dude. He's like, holy crap, man. Yeah, he thought it was like some other track on the album. They didn't, he, you know, because it was like, dude, there was never an opening track that started so bam with vocals. And Now, personally, this is what I have to say about what I feel about the song. And this probably will tell you how much I like the song. This is my all-time favorite Pantera song. It's nice. Strength Beyond Strength. I, obviously, my favorite track off, track off the album. That middle section, man, where he's like, we grow into a monster, an arrogant smokestream motherfuck, hard as a rock, shut like a lock. It, that is so fucking metal, it hurts my testicles to saying it. Next song, Becoming. Uh, wow. This one is another, wow. This is like pure genius on Dimebag's part. That little sound effect. That's fucking Dimebag to the bone. That's what Dimebag brought to guitar playing, those little effects. And, and yeah, I, ever, ever since that tour, they never played a show without playing Becoming. And he would be there, like, stepping on his little effect box, whatever the hell you call it, getting that noise. And he just made it so effortlessly. And that guitar solo is like, what the fuck is that about? It was just weird sound effects, but it's cool as fuck. It's like, whee, you know, like crazy. Oh my god, you know, and you know, uh, I'm born again with snake eyes, becoming god size. How badass, you know. Phil, Phil is another amazing fucking lyricist that I feel like he blew his load in Pantera. I know, you know, I love Down. Don't get me wrong, and I and I really love that EP they brought, they took out. It's really good. Actually, I think it's the best thing they've done since Nola. 
But lyric-wise, I don't know, man. It's more... He was an original, man. Kind of D.O.-ish where you don't really know what it means, but it sounds awesome. And uh, it's all over the Becoming and uh, uh, Strength Beyond Strength. Well, what do you feel about Becoming uh, there, Ian? Oh, dude. I mean, just punishing fucking riff. I mean, this is this is an all-time fucking Pantera fucking classic. It was the fourth and last single off the album. Uh, I have no idea what fucking, you know, chart-wise or, or what even chart you would put this on other than the fucking Richter scale because it's so fucking crushing and so fucking heavy. Wow, I wish they would have made a video for that. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if they did one. Did no, they, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. Th- okay, I, I do have on the notes, according to Wikipedia, it was released as a single. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't released in the States. I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm going off of, you know, I, I no bullshit. I don't have secret information. This is on Wikipedia. The, four, the fourth and last single off the album. Uh, but an incredible, I mean, you already mentioned that. I mean, that is just like, holy fucking shit. I mean, to start off the album the way it does, you go into this. I mean, you're not letting up. You're not taking the foot off the gas. And then it leads into something that is still even fucking just as heavy and bone crushing. And that is five minutes alone. Oh, holy shit. Oh, man. You want to talk about a groove, a fucking stop, a fucking riff. This was the third single off the album. They did make a video for this. Uh, the lyrics, at least partially, were inspired by a lawsuit uh, against the band. Apparently, uh, a fan or some was injured in a fucking Pantera mosh pit or some shit. Uh, the father filed a lawsuit and said, "Quote: uh, Let me get five minutes alone with that Phil Anselmo." And uh, you know, he kind of took the ball and ran with it there. I think the lyrics are pretty vague, though. And it touches on all kinds of different... I think there's racial tension stuff in the lyrics. At least how I took it. There's all kinds of different shit. Uh, but man, it's just a powerful, <coughs> powerful fucking song. Uh, just fucking incredible. Incredible. Five minutes alone. I, 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 mean, I mean, just look at these first three songs on this album. This is... These three songs are better than most songs you get on any fucking album. I, I mean, this, this is shaping up to be a goddamn, you know, heavy metal Sergeant Pepper or something. You know, this is shit is just flawless fucking shit. I fucking love it. I love uh, Five Minutes Alone. What do you think, Ralph? And you better not hate it, you son of a bitch. No. It's an, <laughs> it's an excellent, excellent song that kicks ass. <laughs> uh, no, I love this. This is probably my second favorite song on the album. Wow. And yes, uh, you wage a war nerves to try to crush the kingdom. Yeah, I think that's about the lawsuit. You know, you can hear, you know, you're trying to bring us down. And I, I asked you, but I didn't know. It's interesting that what you said, I knew the song was about a lawsuit, but I had no idea the father said that. I thought it was Phil Anselmo saying, man, I'd like to get that kid five minutes alone. You know, that's, I always thought that. But no, oh, which makes it even cooler. Um, that the dad said it and Phil took that and wrote a song around it, which is genius. And uh, what a great, great song. And that video, man, with uh, with those extreme close-ups. And uh, I think that that's like dental dental uh, cameras, you know. Uh, 
which was first used on a Huey Lewis video back in the 80s for uh, a song, I think, uh, Cool. What was that song? Um, to, yeah, it was like a nerdy song. It's cool to be a nerd. Or What was the name of that Huey Lewis song? <laughs> Hip to be square. Hip to be square. <laughs> Hip to be square was a similar video. And, and, and I love Huey Lewis, the biggest dick in rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, I mean that literally. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so fucking, um, yeah, five minutes alone, crushing with that then and then, then and then, kind of like Walk Part Two, but but I like it way more than Walk. It's an amazing song. I would put this one in my top five too. Next, uh, is it is it I'm Broken next? <laughs> First of all, I want to say how awesome this podcast is because you're never going to hear Huey Lewis and Pantera. Yeah, exactly. But yes, Ralph, take us into I'm Broken. I'm Broken now. Believe it or not, I'm not really too into it. I mean, I like it. What? Wait, 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 wait. wait now. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to like bash this song, but compared to the three before, no, it doesn't live up to it. And which is, surprises me how this was the first single. And uh, when I saw the video, it was like, eh, cool, new Pantera. It was like, cool, new Pantera. But if the first single was like any of the first three, I'd be like, holy crap, this new Pantera fucking rules. Where, I don't know, this was like, you know, I felt the same way about Mouth for War, believe it or not. Mouth for War wasn't, oh. one, of, wasn't one of my favorite songs off, oh, wow. I mean, New Level and, you know. Oh, yeah. See, Mouth for War is my favorite on Vulgar. Really? I, I like it, but I don't know. I just feel like uh, I'm Broken's a good song. I hate to say anything bad about it. It's got that and it's a cool video. I'm, I'm just jamming in a little room. Um, but, you know, as I said, it's not, it's not like one of my favorites on the album, but it's a good grooving tune. To me, it would have been like a killer filler, but it's not. Obviously, it was a single, and they stood behind it. And every time I saw them since the tour, "I'm Broken" was always played. What do you feel about "I'm Broken"? Oh, fuck! God, I love this fucking song. I love this fucking song. Uh, one of the all-time Pantera classics in my mind. Uh, it was the first single off the album. God damn! I remember seeing this video. Me and my, my best friend, fucking Matt Pasenka, we'd, every Saturday we would watch Headbangers Ball together. We'd watch Howard Stern's old Channel 9 show. Yep. And then, and then, and then we'd watch Headbangers Ball. So would I. Oh, oh, that's awesome. That's so, I never knew that about you, Matt. Same thing here. I have them all on video, actually. I, yeah, I have them all, too. Love it. Love it. Papa Boy, Papa Boy. But, uh, an incredible fucking song. I love, uh, I love that Phil is showing showing respect for his friends back home here in New Orleans, wearing, probably wearing his crowbar shirt in the video and just seeing this and like, God damn, love me some fucking Pantera. And just an incredible, an incredible song, like an, somebody would say. An awesome, awesome song that kicked Mark's ass. Why it wasn't number one, I'll never, I'll never know. <laughs> but uh, this also, uh, Kerry King is going on record by saying this is his favorite Pantera riff. And the, the the song actually came out of a sound check, much like if you believe if the story is true, eruption was to fucking uh, you know Van Halen. This was something Dimebag just did in a fucking sound check, and like, whoa, you know, hold on now, brother, let's make a fucking song out of that because this is fucking awesome. Uh, I'm broken, just absolutely fucking incredible. You can play this song a million times in a row. I'd never get fucking sick of it. Absolutely love it. 
And then, man, this album takes a little bit of a turn. Little bit. Goes, uh, goes into good friends and a bottle of pills. Which uh, those of you older listeners might realize this is a play on words of the fucking Ted Nugent classic from Weekend Warriors, Good Friends and a Bottle of Wine. Uh, wow. They hadn't done anything like this before. Uh, just, you know, screaming vocals in certain parts and like slow drunken speech and others, you know, and the guitars are going wild and he's talking about, you know, like, you know, why... You, while you slept and drooled, I fucked your love, I fucked your girl. And, uh, man, I always loved this song, but in a weird way, it made me feel uncomfortable because, you know, I, I, I used to date a whore, and I passed out a lot because of my drinking, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, you, you know, it's like every time the song, you know, I played this out, which I played all the time, every time this came on, like, I loved it, and I felt real uneasy at the same time. I'm like, oh, my God, who, how many people fucked this whore while I was passed out? You know, it sucks. And let that be a public service message out there. Okay, you guys, fuck whores. Don't fall in love with them. Don't marry them. Don't buy a house with them. You know, just, just, just fuck them and move on. Or else you're, you know, you're going to listen to this song and, and, and get like that, you know, that twist in your fucking guts. But I love this fucking song, and I hate love whores. And, uh, man, it's, it's, it's a classic. As far as I I don't know if this was ever played live. Uh, it was always an intro. Well, it was during that time. They, they, wow. uh, the Far Beyond Driven, they, the show, like the lights would go out and they would play this whole song through the PA. And then they'd wow. start Strength Beyond Strength. That shows you how like fucked up I was in the 90s because I saw the Far Beyond Driven tour three times. Wow. And, and Yeah, I, I saw it, uh, I believe, once in Wisconsin, once in Chicago. Actually, uh, a bunch of us drove to Peoria, Illinois, to see the tour. I mean, because we just we couldn't get enough of fucking Pantera. Was it typo negative opening? Um, I think I I missed the one show where uh, they opened up. I'm trying to, dude. I can't remember. It was it was so fucking. Yeah, we had typo. Maybe I saw. I know I saw typo back in the day. I loved I loved the shit out of fucking typo, but I can't remember. I do remember when we went to the Peoria, Illinois show. We saw this chick there. We drove in like a snowstorm. It was in February. And we saw this old lady. She looked like a school teacher. I mean, this was like an old lady in a trench coat. Had a fucking uh, a typo negative t-shirt on. And she's down there in the pit. And it just blew my fucking mind. I'm like, wow, this is kind of weird. And I'll, I'll never forget that we stopped at a head shop before the, before the show. And I got a dugout used to smoke weed back in the days and these old dugout boxes you put your weed in well this one had uh, one of the old Kiss uh, bubblegum cards laminated over the top of it and I went to go buy it and uh, I didn't have my ID on me so my buddy Gary Johnson had to actually take it up and, and purchase it for me but uh, weird things you remember from the fucking show but it was incredible but I do not remember this being played but, yeah, uh, I mean, I, as far as them playing it live, I don't know, maybe, but I know it definitely wasn't at any of the shows I was at. I well, do remember you, it was an intro tape. What do you think of this song? Well, I just want to say, before I get into it, like, what you were saying earlier, you were paranoid that, because you were dating a whore at the time, <laughs> and you passed out a lot, and you weren't <laughs> sure, maybe she fucked somebody, or you were there. Well, I can tell you something, if I was your friend back then, you would know for sure that she got fucked. 
It would have been me, Ian. But and you know, but but you know, no offense, buddy. I would never do that to a friend. Right. No, I agree. But I do it to you. Oh. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so anyway, I would have fucked that whore. Yeah, why not? All right. So, uh, oh, I yes, it's a weird fucking song. It's 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 very peculiar, but I like it. I think it's uh, pretty damn cool. Pretty damn cool song. Uh, it's out there. I guess they just wanted to throw something out there. And let me ask you, since you are like a raging alcoholic, what does masters mean? Because he says in the song, I serve too many masters. Is that a type of drink? Or is that like a roofie? Or I don't know. He says that in the song, I serve too many masters. Which gives me the, the visual of somebody drinking too much of something that turned... Uh, made them pass out, you know. You, you know, it's 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 not something that I drink, but now that you say that, it's got me thinking. It, it has to be a New Orleans thing. Well, no, I, I, I spend a lot of time in some bars. I live above one, and uh, mm, yeah, I, I think it might be. It's not something I drink. I, I'm pretty much a beer guy, some some Jameson whiskey, some Jägermeister. That's kind of my thing. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it is. I could be wrong though. Well, next, I mean, I love it. So next we go into Hard Lines and Sunken Cheeks. Uh, I don't know. Is this song about drug addiction or something? I don't know. But, uh, oh, I love this one. I love the line where he's like, I drink all day, I smoke all day. That part's just fucking cool. And my soul for a goat. Oh, that's in my notes. That's so awesome. My soul for a goat. Oh, I love that shit. God, I love that, man. Love that shit. Probably the best deep cut on this damn album. I love this one. Um, an excellent, excellent song. I remember when my mom bought this at Rinkers. Yeah, it was it was July twenty third at two forty five uh, afternoon, forty six minutes after. She, that's exactly when she walked away from the from the cashier, and she handed it to me. And this then it was two forty six when I actually got the plastic off. Uh, yes, indeed. My uh, my ode to the rock spooge. Um <laughs> What do you think of this song? This song rules. Oh, dude, fucking epic! Uh, it's the album's longest track. Uh, this very well could be about addiction because it's right around this time. Excuse me. Um, that Phil, you know, found out he was suffering from two ruptured discs. Uh, he was in a lot of pain, but uh, you know, around the, he's turned into the rock god. I mean, he's the new Ozzy. He's the new David Lee Roth. He really was of his time. People who didn't grow up during that might not realize, but he was the rock god of yeah. metal. And uh, you know, his his attitude was, I, I got to be that character at all fucking times. So whatever I got to do, I can't appear that I'm in pain. I got to be this. I got to be that. And, you know, he numbed himself with everything from drink to, to, you know, to smoke to fucking, unfortunately, he started turning into heroin uh, to relieve the pain and to be able to go on. And uh, so that's really what this could be about, because he said, you know, this was they were at the top of top of their game, but he was suffering from being that rock star 24 seven. And, uh, you know, I. I identify because look, I suffer from my art, man. <laughs> yeah, know? no shit. I, you you want to tell you want to tell the people what you did today? Oh yeah, dude, I fucking binged and purged. Yeah, I, literally. <laughs> yeah, I fucking I ate too much food for lunch because I was 
busting my ass trying to do shit around the house, get cleaned up, do shit, you know, so I can enjoy my vacation I'm on, and uh, and I ate too big a lunch, and I was like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta tie one on for the podcast, and uh, I realized I couldn't drink that much because, I, you know, I fucking ate so much. So I, I fucking went to the bathroom and I played an episode of the Crib Podcast and all of a sudden I just fucking threw up all over the fucking place. And uh, that made it... <laughs> That's true? That's yeah, true. You yeah. actually just put on the Crib Podcast and that let you throw oh, up? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, it was the par- it was the podcast my parents warned me of. And uh, I, I fucking I, I threw up all over the bathroom and made room for fucking more Rolling Rock. And uh, I was able to get drunk and uh, be the uh, cheery co-host y'all know and love. You know, you know, it would be a good idea, like uh, anorexic people out there, we turn them onto the cribs, so you don't yeah. have to put their finger down their throat anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, now the Olsen twin secret is out. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are the other uh, three listeners, or two listeners. It was the, an uh, excellent, <laughs> excellent song, and it kicks much up. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Luke. All right, in, in all fairness, Ralph, in all fairness, we might have a skewed opinion uh, on Terrence. Now, uh, for an objective opinion, let's go to his replacement. Block of Wood, what do you have to say? That was Block of Wood, ladies and gentlemen. All right. It was very informative. It, 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 it did not annoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it didn't go on and on forever. Yeah. <laughs> we go into Slaughter, which um, I will say this. Slaughtered is my least favorite track on the album, um, but I would never skip it. I don't hate Slaughtered. I, I I think that's a testament to how awesome this album is. Um, but it, it it still is my least favorite. I just think the others are so so incredible uh, that this is the only one that I would consider filler. But it's still a thousand times better than most people's garbage, and I was surprised. Uh, they just put out a 20th anniversary of this album, and uh, they have a live concert from Donington in 1994, and this was in the set list, which I found surprising. They very well could have played it one of the three times I saw them on this tour. I don't remember, because kids, I did a lot of drugs and drinking back then. Uh, but uh, like I said, least favorite, but I still love it. What do you think of Slaughtered, Ralph? Uh, when I saw them, they did not play this, but... They did play it. I could be wrong. It was either the Trend Kill show or I'm pretty sure it was the live because they toured behind the live album. The 100% live alcohol album, whatever it's called. I'm pretty sure it was that show. They actually played Slaughtered. Uh, but no, I didn't see them play it. I, I actually like this song a lot. And and uh, I would have to agree with you. It's not one of the better songs on it, but it's, it's really not my least favorite. Uh, Slaughter's pretty good, but um, the next song is 25 Years. Now, this song is heavy as hell, and I love all the pick scraping going on, and it's just scraping string insanity. Again, like the genius of Dimebag, why he was so original. All the weird effects and weird playing that the guy did. Where he can do like the cleanest solo you can ever hear in your life, and the most like I don't know weirdest noise, where it doesn't really require uh, technical, you know, greatness just to do all these weird effects. I guess all you just need is you know guitar pick and a box 
and you can achieve all this stuff. I don't think that takes a lot of like uh, talent to do, but just like Edward Van Halen, uh, Dimebag would do greatness with easy stuff. Like listen to "Ain't Talking About Love" by Van Halen. Listen to that guitar solo. It's not a shred fest. So 25 years, um, Dime does a lot of weird stuff. Where I mean, he does some great guitar work as well. Don't get me wrong. But the majority, my favorite part is the, the, the heavy riffs with the pick scraping the strings. Great, great stuff. What do you think of 25 years, uh, Ian? <coughs> oh, 25 years. Uh, amazing. Uh, brutal. I mean, hard track, not only music-wise, but lyric-wise. You know, this is kind of a big, like, you know, fuck you, dad, or fuck you, like, you know, you know, an abusive parent kind of thing, and you know, normally I hate shit like that. You know, you know, I hate that kind of a. I call it, you know, wham wham rock. You know, like like corn, like all corn, like wham wham. Dad didn't play catch with me. Wham wham wham. You know, but this uh, this is done the way it should be. It's it's a uh, the subject matter is dark, but the music is brutal, but heavy and uncompromising. Uh, I, I love Twenty Five Years. It's amazing. Amazing fucking track. Really fucking dig it. And then we go into... Oh my god. You want to talk about amazing deep cut. Shedding skin. Wow. This probably... This is definitely my top ten favorite uh, Pantera songs of all time. Uh, you want to talk about a great fucking breakup song. I, I, I tell you what, I, I, I know you had that fucking cunt that broke your heart that makes you like fucking Chinese democracy. Yeah. Next next time you're thinking of that bitch, don't put on that crap. Oh, trust you, me. I, you I, put thought, on, I thought of her during this song. I'll get into it. You put on shedding skin because, oh, man. This is kind of like, in a way, you can see it as, uh, you know, this love part two, but... You know, looking back, I gotta say I like this even more than this love. You know, maybe that's due to a little bit of overkill factor. This love, but man, what a powerful, powerful fucking breakup song uh, that works on every level, lyrically, musically. Uh, incredible deep cut that doesn't get a lot of attention. Uh, you know, outside of hardcore Pantera fans, but you know, it wasn't a single. Uh, you know, there's no T-shirt for fucking this song, but uh, "Shedding Skin," one of my all-time favorites. Absolutely love it. All right, Ralph, what you got? Yeah, I love it as well. It's a, a great deep cut on here. Um, it kind of reminds me a little the riff-wise, "Mouth of War"-ish, a little bit. Um, that it just has that that groove again, the killer groove. And yes, it's a great metaphor. Of like you know getting over a chick is shedding skin, because when you don't get over a chick, your your skin's still attached because you're missing the bitch. But when you shed the skin, it's like you're you're all it's over. I don't care for you anymore. And shedding skin is a great song to listen to to uh, get over bitches. Uh, I love it. I love it. I, I really can't go into it much more because I'll sound like Terrence. So the next track is called <laughs> "Use My Third Arm." Now this song, let me tell you something. This song I <laughs> fucking love. It's yes! so it's so badass metal. And that one part where he goes, balls in a 
punk. I just <laughs> yeah. love that shit. That 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 um, what do you call that? That structure, the vocal structure, oh, and, and yeah. the drums and the and the riff. It's the total Pantera package in this song. It's not as accessible as you know, uh, Walk or you know, This Love or stuff like that. But it is just crushing. It's and also it shows like another thing. This whole album, it really shows the precision of this fucking band. How tight they were, tighter than a nun's asshole. They were just beyond tight. The probably the tightest band ever. If you think about it, they were just ridiculously tight. So in the pocket, the Rex, Vinny, and Dime were just this machine that was like you just couldn't throw off course. And this song like really shows off the precision that was the great Pantera. I love Use My Third Arm. You, Ian? Uh, I'll tell you what, man. As much as I fucking love, love arguing and disagreeing with you, I'm actually kind of having fun on this episode agreeing with you. It kind of warms my heart in this season of giving. Yes. Because this is a brutal deep cut and this could quite possibly be my favorite track on the album. There you go. And I, 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 oh, dude, I love that breakdown. Blood water scent. It's like a raping without judgment. Oh, dude, it's oh my god, this fucking song. It just amazing. it just makes you want to punch a guy in the face that says this is an excellent excellent song. You just want to <laughs> punch that guy in the face during this song. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's why I always say it's amazing because I don't want to take a hit to the face because I'm kind of pretty. But this shit is fucking awesome. It is so fucking metal. It is. It's one of those songs that, Jesus Christ, if you have a pulse and you hear this shit, you know, you're going to fucking move. You're going to fucking headbang. You, you know, you're going to throw up the fucking horns. You know, it, it's just fucking amazing. You know, it, rem- it reminds me. I went and saw Pantera. I think... I want to say this was at the world, world famous Aragon Brawl Room or Ballroom, uh, one of the greatest venues in the U.S. of A. Uh, like I said, I think it was on Vulgar. So this guy there, I was in my early twenties. This guy's in his forties, and we're talking before the show. He's like, man, he's like, I'll tell you what, I'm old guy, but I love this fucking Pantera. He goes, you know, this is some incredible fucking music. He goes. He goes, I don't know about all you kids in this moshing, though. I don't know what the fuck to think of that. And I was like, hey, dude, it's just like, you know, aggressive dancing. You can do it without hurting people. You just throw yourself around. Somebody falls down. You pick them up. You know, you're not trying to hurt somebody. You're just getting aggression out. He was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And Pantera came on. This guy's feeling the groove. And he's just he's like a fucking octopus, dude. The fucking shit starts... His arms are going, his legs are going, and he just turns around, looks at me, smiles, and he kicks me right in the fucking dick. Right, <laughs> right in the fucking dick. And if you ever been kicked in the dick, you know it ain't cool, but it's better than if he hits you in the balls. You know, yeah. he missed missed the balls, but hit the dick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he's all he's all apologizing. He's like, I'm sorry, man. I told you I don't know how to do this shit. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I was like coughing, but I put my arm around him. I'm like, it's all right, brother. <laughs> I know you didn't mean it. Oh, fuck, shit. You know, but it was the music taking over, and that's the kind of 
song this is, it just makes you want to accidentally kick people in the fucking dick and fucking thrash around, you know, like a madman. Uh, brutal fucking rip. The, the quintessential meaning of a deep cut is this song. Never a fucking uh, single. You don't hear too many people talk about it, but it has all the power, all the fucking charm, all the magic Pantera in one song. Use my third arm, people. Check this fucking shit out. It's an incredible track. And then we go into track number 11, which is Throws of Rejection. Another slamming fucking riff. You know, the album just isn't letting up, dude. It's not taking the foot off the gas. <coughs> not, you know, you know, this shit is like Chris Brown's driving the car and Rihanna's in the backseat, you know, and he's going to give her five across the fucking eyes. This song just smacks the shit out of you. I love how it goes from like a whisper on the vocals to just full-blown kick-ass. Uh, it's just incredible. It's it's another, you know, the, the, the second side is full of deep tracks, you know, all the ones everybody knows are on the first side, aside from the last track. But uh, just great fucking metal. I love it. What do you think about Throws of Rejection? Well, Ian, how the hell are we going to get it through a show just agreeing the whole time? It's impossible. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't Uh-oh. hate I don't hate it, but this is a total throwaway song for me. Yeah. It's kind of like, look, we need, it, we need another song to finish this album. Let's just, like, run in there and do this. I feel like this was a filler. It was. It's not a hard... I actually do like the originality of it. The, the the changes it has, but it's not something that's beyond memorable. But like what you said earlier about Slaughtered, I will not skip this track. I mean, when I play Far Beyond Driven, when I play any Pantera album, it's well, an album. It's an album <laughs> thing. It's an experience. I gotta listen to the first track to the last, just like Early Sabbath. I cannot skip a song. So, you uh, throws a rejection is my least favorite on here. I do feel like it was, I don't know, it just feels like uh, it wasn't something that they really took a lot of care of like they did the rest of the album. Um, but, <clears throat> well, but not, not, not to cut you off, but I will say this, uh, Pantera was kind of like Led Zeppelin in the fact that uh, they didn't have too much shit that they, they left unreleased. You know, they wrote for the album and everything went on there. You know, they don't have bolts and bolts of shit. You know, neither did Zeppelin. And, uh, you know, they wrote it and this came out. I I do agree with you. It's, uh, you know, it's right above Slaughtered is my least favorite track. But, um, but yeah, I totally totally get what you're saying, but I do still dig the track. I feel like if they were going to leave a track off the album, it would have been this one. Um, Like uh, that song Piss. From uh, that they left off the previous album that was released on the, the great right, song. but that was great song. But that was a that was a reworking of uh, oh was it? Of what yeah, song? yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm drunk now. I'll okay. never think of. I know the Pantera fans are gonna give me, but it basically the uh, lyrics and music were stolen from another song. Like they took it, and they made another song. And was I can't it from what it was. Uh, Far Beyond Driven? <sighs> wow, that's that I didn't know of. I gotta listen that's... to it again. See if I can uh, put two and two together. No, I gotta say it's one off of Vulgar. I can't remember, but I I heard it. I'm like, oh, that's this song. I can't remember. Was it? Yeah. Um, I can't. Uh, no good for no one. The racist song was it that one? Or um, beat by 
demon. Uh, no, I wasn't. Any streetwise son of a bitch knows. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I'm fucking drunk. Rise? No. But, uh, it, uh fuck, I don't know, man. Well, I, I, I know right I know right now, you know, some Pantera fans like, fucking Ayatollah, how could you fuck this up? I fucked it up. I'm no, sorry. no, I'm hey, hey, at least you knew that. I didn't know it at all, so I'm yeah, even worse yeah, than you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a rework. It's a rework. All right, so then we end the album with something that is so left field, like you would not, you know, you'd think it would be Electric Funeral, which they have covered. You know, a Black Sabbath. If they're going to cover a Black Sabbath song... If you would have told me before this album came out what Sabbath song is going to be on the next Pantera album, this would have never, ever, like, I would have never thought it would have been Planet Caravan. <clears throat> I thought they did such an amazing job on this song. Really, I mean, but they didn't really change it much. Uh, they pretty much kept it basically how it is on Paranoid, but... You know, with Dimebag's amazing playing, he tones it down, and it's really beautiful the way he plays. And even Phil, to sing with that softness and dime on the the bongos, and you know, the very underrated Rex doing Geezer Butler justice. I think it was an amazing cover of Planet Caravan. I think they did it really well. It went over well live. They played it live, and um, and me like you know, Black Sabbath is my favorite song band of all time that I would be extremely critical, especially a song like this, uh, that I have to, you know, have to give them a big nod on good job. And and you know what? A great way to end this album, because this album was just so relentless that you needed a breath of fresh air. And I think this album is just so damn brutal that the best way to end it is to breathe, because if you didn't have an ending like this, most of us would be dead now from listening to this album because it's just too plumbing plumbing on on our heart so so these these three four minutes of planet caravan put our heart rate back in pace so another thing you can say anything bad about pantera but pantera did do two things they saved metal in the 90s and they saved our lives pantera fans yeah i i agree this um honestly believe this is the best uh, Black Sabbath cover I've ever heard in my life. Uh, they did it justice. Uh, you, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm torn when I hear covers. Sometimes I either want to hear like a 100% faithful interpretation or I want to hear something fucking total 180. And they stayed faithful to this and it was absolutely incredible. I mean, Dimebag's guitar on this, uh, you know, when I think of, you know, it kind of reminds me if anybody's ever heard uh, the Ace Fraley tribute, where he does fucking uh, fractured mirror. Oh my god, he does it faithful. Faithful is all hell till the end, and then he cuts loose and it's total fucking dime. But it's absolutely incredible, you know. In this one, he but he, on this one he stays faithful the whole way through. The whole band sounds amazing. Phil sounds amazing. It's total respect. And I love the little liner note in the album. If you read the liner notes, they're like, you know, don't think we fucking sold out. Don't think we're fucking pussies. We're doing a mellow track. This is just a black song that we dig. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. You don't like it, fuck you. And, and, and I love that, dude. I love that they had the balls to do that because they could have done any 
fucking heavy song and fucking crushed it. And they choose they chose a mellow, trippy, beautiful fucking underrated gem, and 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 did it justice. And 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 I agree, it was a great way to end a brutal fucking album. Definitely the heaviest number one album of all fucking time, and probably ever will be. Yeah, you, you know, uh, an incredible, incredible way to end it. Uh, it, it showed much respect and much love for what came before. And I, I, I think no band has developed metal uh, since. You know, I, I really don't think anybody's taking it to the next. And I hope somebody does. I really do. I hope somebody else comes along and, and progresses metal and, and it turns on a younger generation. Um, but so far, I ain't fucking heard it. Yeah. I'll tell you that, you know. It's, it's, it, it's sad, but, you know. It is, it is, it is sad. As much as I hate on new shit, you know, it's, uh, I'm sorry, people, Avenged Sevenfold and Five Finger Death Punch don't fucking do it for me, you know, and, and that's not elevating the music that I fucking love, and I haven't heard a true original since fucking Pantera, and then that's fucked up, I, w- I wish somebody would, would take their place, but I, I don't know if anybody ever will. I know I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this, uh, because this is a very popular band in the underground. There's a band called, um, oh, geez, now I can't remember their name. Um, Dying Fetus. You know Dying Fetus, Ian? I've, I know of them. Never heard of them, but well, I, they I, know are, them. I they, can see the logo in my head. They are a brutal death metal band. Now, what they did, and it drives me nuts. I mean, I, look, I'm not a death metal aficionado. I kind of died with death metal in the early 90s. I'm more into... Obituary's first two albums, uh, Death, Early Death, and uh, DSI, you know, all that early stuff, and my favorite, Morbid Angel. I don't really like death metal anymore, and this band, Dying Fetus, has all the brutal death metal qualities, but they throw in Pantera into it. They have the breakdowns, and nothing grinds my gears more than hearing, like, you know, the stuff, you know, it's like the blast beat used to be very special to me. Like, you know, early early Napalm Death and stuff like that. Like, you hear a little blast beat during a song and then it would stop and go back to whatever the song was. That little blast beat was so awesome. Now you have bands like Nile that all they do is a blast beat and it becomes like, it's just too pummeling. I'm like, I'm out of breath listening to this stuff. But yeah, you all, all you Dying Fetus fans that are sharpening your knives and you want to kill me, you got to remember, I'm also going to be 50 in a couple months, so... Hey, man, there comes a time where age does creep up and we can't keep up with what's cool to all the younger people. So more power to you guys. I just feel like it's blasphemy to put groove in, in death metal, man. It's, it's Anyway, I don't even know how I got into Dying Fetus. My, my, my dad, my dad loved, um, you know, early, early metal. You know, he, he loved the fucking the purple Hell, I'm named after two guys in fucking Deep Purple. Uh, you know, he, he loved uh, Zeppelin, Sabbath, and all that shit. But he said all the shit I listened to sound like Bad Uriah Heap to him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, we, yeah you he, know, we. I mean, I do accept the fact that I have gotten older and and can't accept what all the people dig today. But you got, I got to tell you this. Unlike your dad, and because I know people like your dad, the generation before us, they stopped way before 50. I think they it was oh, like maybe yeah, yeah. in their 30s. 
Oh where, shit! My, the, the last the last Black Sabbath album my father bought was Sabbath the Bloody Sabbath. Well, there you go. I mean, geez. You know, I mean, he stopped and, like in his twenties, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, he still, you know, he listened to he he loved uh, David Lee Roth era Van Halen. He gave up when Sammy, you know, took over. Thank God, my dad Smart had man. some taste, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he gave up early. Where, where I'm still, you, you know, I just turned forty this year. You're about ready to turn fifty, um, you, you know. But I still, I I live and breathe metal every day of my life. I listen to metal at some point in the day or another. I listen to fucking heavy metal. You know, and, you have your your Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk's maybe a year or two older than me. That guy stopped a long time ago. You know, I, I still, I mean, I will still listen to new music. And, you know, I like Iron Reagan a lot. That's a new band. Uh, you know, Waste I like, and you know, which is a spinoff of that band. And, you know, there's quite a few newer bands I do dig. But it's not the same. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. have the same passion. It's like, all right, let me put on the new Iron Reagan. I like it. I'll listen to it. Yeah, it's some good stuff. But it ain't like when I was younger, I was like, fuck yeah! Now it's like, hey, yeah, man, that's good. So I am kind of mellowing with age, but you won't notice. Well, I don't... Uh, okay, I'll say it anyway. The new Thrasher Die is even heavier and faster than the first album. So you can, Yeah! When, when it comes to my music, I have not mellowed at all. But when it comes yeah, to kicking back... When it comes to kicking back at home, honestly, there's a lot of times I don't put on metal. I put on, like, hard hey, rock... I- I'm looking right behind you, and I see Robin Trower fucking Bridge of Sides. Bridge of Sides, yeah, that. I love that. I, I love, just, I love that shit. I love that album. I played that not too long ago. I have uh, over here Abba. You know, I mean, I listen to. Uh, All right, let's go back to Robin Trower. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and 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 by the way, Abba belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what I feel because <laughs> they, they they are not rock and roll, so they belong in there. Um, but we won't get into that. If you want to hear what I feel about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, listen to the last episode. You might get offended. And uh, but uh, <laughs> any closing statement on Pantera, I'll 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 think of something. You you say. Um, I was, I absolutely love Pantera. Um, you know I think uh, they're in the top three bands I've seen the most. Excuse me, most times. Pantera, Ozzy, and Kiss are the bands I've seen the most. Absolutely love my first, my very first tattoo is a Pantera tattoo, and I remember uh, hanging out at a bar here in New Orleans, uh, One Eyed Jacks, and, and fucking, uh, you know, I showed Phil my my Pantera tattoo. He slapped it, told me to wear it with pride, and I do, I do, I love it. I love Pantera. Um, it's just amazing. I'm so glad. That I grew up in an era, you know, it sucks that I missed the seventies and the eighties. So many shows, so many legendary tours, I missed out on. But what I didn't miss out on was Pantera in the fucking nineties, and what an incredible time that was to be, you know, the the, the last bastion to hang on to true metal at a time where everything, you know, you know, fucking uh, goddamn Pantera's singing about can't find a better man and don't call me daughter and shit like that. I was listening to shit like Strength Beyond Strength and not giving up the fucking metal banner. Still proud to be a fucking metal head. Never fucking ever ashamed of the music that I love. The music that means the world to me. And I, I listen to everything from fucking Slayer to Steely Dan. I love all, all kinds of music. But what moves me the most uh, with, through my veins is fucking heavy metal. 
And uh, but you know, but Pantera was was incredible. Uh, it was so vital. It was so amazing. And they took out. I mean, I saw Pantera with with more of an angel Me with too. fucking anthrax. I, I, I mean, to their guns, and they took out bands that they believed in. When bands like uh, you know, you know. Metallica is the biggest band in the world, and they sit there like, "Oh, we're gonna do a Merciful Fate fucking, uh, you know, medley." But did they take Merciful Fate out as an opening act? No, they no, took they, they took Limp Bizkit and Corn out. Yeah, they took out Days of the Fucking New and, and you know? Kid Rock, right? And Candlebox. Right. And, and the last time I saw Pantera, it was with Slayer and Morbid Angel. There you so go. that shows that shows you who really believed in metal, who stuck by metal. And, and trust me, man, those guys could have fucking sold out. They could have wrote some fucking power ballad <coughs> shit. Or fucking cut their hair and did all that shit, and they never did. They stayed true a thousand fucking percent, and uh, they deserve some fucking respect for that. And they do, and they do get it. With all the haters out there, there's still a lot of people out there, man, that just love the hell out of that band, that wish they could have seen them. And people, I mean, I've encountered people that told me, dude, you saw Pantera, man. I've watched Pantera on YouTube, and you can see full shows, you know, bootleg videos of Pantera. And yeah, I gotta admit, it doesn't really capture the badassness to how it was there. But you can still see, like, while watching the video, how the crowd is reacting. You can tell the people there are fucking so into Pantera, and that's one thing I gotta say about Pantera shows, man. Those pits, man. I've been in pits. Let me tell you. Pantera pits were like unfucking believable. I used to see them at this place. I saw them twice there. It was the West Palm Beach Auditorium, which was a huge floor with no seats. And it was like there wasn't an inch of that floor that wasn't moving around. It was just nonstop, relentless moshing that there were parts of the show. Like, you know, this love and stuff like that. I would move to the back and go, oh, let me catch my breath here, man. This is like getting too fucking crazy. <laughs> they were just so unbelievable and by far the best live band in the 90s. Van Halen, Pantera are the best shows, you know, and I also have to throw in the Kiss Reunion Madison Square Garden. Not the Miami Arena, I, that was good, but Madison Square Garden was a magical night. Um, what other band? There, there's, there's quite a few great live bands that never disappoint. Van Halen, Pantera are definitely Probably in my top two. Twisted Sister too, believe it or not. I can add that uh, David Lee Roth, um, you know, was like the best frontman of the 80s. And Phil is definitely the best frontman of the 90s. And I still think he's an amazing frontman because I saw him recently with, with Down. I saw him with Super Joint Ritual. And he's got that, that thing, you know. Dee Snyder does too. That thing when he's on stage, he just can control the stage with his fucking aura, man. The guy just has it. You know, he goes up there and he just stands there and he just, you can just tell the guy's feeling exactly what you're feeling. And that was another very special thing about Pantera. They were the audience. They didn't, they weren't like uh, too far to, um, you know, touch. You know, they, they were like part of us, you know, and that's what people got out of Pantera was, they made you feel like you were in Pantera. I don't think there's ever been a band that was like so audience friendly or like they were part of the audience than Pantera. I think that was the magic of Pantera, how they were us. 
And that's why they were loved so much because people didn't see them as like all these rock gods. They saw them as like, hey man, these are the same people I drink with out in the parking lot. You know what I mean? And that's what I, that to me was what's special by Pantera. And I love them. And anybody that doesn't, it's cool. But fuck you if you're happy like Dime died. Yeah, All right, so uh, that that concludes our Pantera discussion, and now we're going to go into pick of the week. Yes, pick of the week. All right, go for it. All right, now pick of the week. Believe it or not, and I live in New Orleans, the home of Philip H. and Selmo. And believe it or not, there's a big dividing line here where people either love or hate Phil. There's some that absolutely worship him. And then there's a lot of people that hate Phil because they believe he ripped off this band. Another New Orleans thrash metal legend that never got to do. And I was lucky enough to see him live when they got back together. And that's Exhorter. Exhorter is an awesome, awesome thrash band. Uh, they put out two classic albums, Slaughter in the Vatican and The Law. Uh, just amazing, man. I... I was so lucky to see fucking uh, Exhorter and Crowbar did a show at a place here called The Hangar. Right next to The Hangar is a bar called The Rendon Inn. I got drunk as fuck with Kirk before the show. We were sitting there drinking. I was like, ah, let's get another round. He goes, dude, I got to <laughs> I gotta play a show here. And I go, I'm buying. He goes, okay, one more round. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, and Kirk was fucked. But he, he put on a hell of a show, and Exhorter came out and fucking killed it as well. Um, man, great band. Uh, are you familiar with Exhorter, Ralph? I saw Exhorter on the Slaughter of the Vatican tour. They came down here with, it was Malevolent. No way! Yep, it was Malevolent Creation. I believe, I know Exhorter was like one of the, I, I was telling you, there was like six bands at a venue in Miami. I only been to once, never went back. Exhorter was there. I bought a shirt. I was so... That's the first time I ever heard of them. And I saw them. I was blown away. And I bought a Slaughter of the Vatican shirt, which I no longer have. Um, I can't remember. I know Malevolent was on that bill, too. But I can't remember who actually headlined. It was... I don't know. may have been Cannibal or, you know, some big death metal band. I I can't remember because I used to go to so many shows at the time. But, yeah, I actually discovered Exhorter live. And uh, I feel like I like the law. Don't get me wrong. I like the law, but I think Slaughter in the Vatican is so much better. And oh, the, I, it is my favorite of the two. Yeah, and and the law to me is more groove than Slaughter. Uh, you know, the, the whole Pantera thing. Yeah, I hear a little bit of the Cowboys era Pantera in its order, but uh, the law was more groove oriented than you know uh, Slaughter in the Vatican. So yeah, I love I love its order. But, uh, yeah, Kyle Thomas, the lead singer, real cool dude. Uh, I've met him. Uh, he spent a while singing for uh, Alabama Thunder Pussy. I believe he did a couple albums with them. He's now the lead singer for Trouble, uh, the doom metal, yes. uh, legendary doom metal band from Chicago. Good, yeah. Um, I mean, they need Eric Wagner, though. I mean, to me, I don't care. But at least he's right. better than that Warrior guy. What, was it Warrior right, AD right. or whatever? Right, right, right. But uh, check out Exhorter. Uh, you know, go on YouTube. Check out, you know, like we said specifically, check out songs from the back and much more of a thrash album. And uh, you dig it, man. You know, go and fucking buy it, man. Uh, what you got for pick of the week there? Huh? 
Oh, I have a Stone Cold classic that a lot of people out there know. But if you don't, boy, you don't know what you're missing. Anybody out there that likes S.O.D.? Yes. You, if you love S.O.D., then you know this album I'm about to mention. It's the spinoff band called M.O.D., and the album's called U.S.A. for M.O.D. Oh, great album. You want to talk about such a classic, which was, that was supposed to be the second M.O.D. S.O.D. album. With songs like... Bubble Butt! Bubble Butt! Yep, (laughs) Spandex and Normandy, AIDS... The Hate Tank. I mean, that whole album from beginning to end, Get a Real Job. Uh, it's just classic after classic after classic. I love the hell out of that album, and I am ashamed to say that I haven't listened to it for a while, and I did, I don't know, like a month ago when my guitar player was staying here. He loves that album so much that, you know, I have it on vinyl, and he played it, and I, you know, I'm listening to it going to myself, man, this is like the perfect hardcore heavy metal crossover album it's accessible people that aren't into like hardcore would love this album because it's got humor it's got attitude Billy Milano is so underrated that guy is just so damn amusing and uh, USA for MOD man my pick of the week man great album awesome awesome yeah definitely MOD MOD has a lot of great albums too yes I, I, gross misconduct yeah. is awesome uh, Rhythm I, of I Fear. Reco- yeah, I, I recommend their whole fucking discography. Uh, Red, All right, well, right now, yeah. Right now, we're going to go into Fan of the Week. I, I got a couple here I want to mention before I turn it over to Ralph. And this one, I know this is going to catch a lot of people off guard. But my Fan of the Week <coughs> is Terrence. What? <laughs> Not... Not the Terrence you all know and hate. Oh, good. This this is Terrence Fernbach, and uh, he's cool as hell. He's been here since the very start on the Podbean page. Uh, I don't believe he's on our Facebook. Page. I sent him a friend request. He hasn't answered back, so maybe he's just a Ralph fan. <laughs> but uh, Terrence Fernbach, uh, if you look at his page, he's from Chicago, but he now lives in Germany. He writes in almost every episode on the Podbean uh, site because you can leave if, if you if you sign up for um, Podbean.com, you can also leave uh, you, you know your your comments there, and he always leaves great comments. You know, sometimes he agrees with us, sometimes he doesn't. But what I like is he always lets his voice be heard, and I love that. Like you know, we don't have to agree on everything. I like knowing that you all are listening, and I appreciate all the things that you say and. He says what he likes about certain episodes. He says what he doesn't like. And, uh, and the funny thing is, he, he says he hates that he shares a name with four co-hosts. So I, I told him we got to give him a, we got to come up with a nickname. Maybe we'll do a contest where we come up with a nickname for Terrence Fernbach that uh, doesn't involve our former co-host. T, but, man, uh, just that call is, him T. Yeah, Mr. T. Mr. T. Yeah. From, Mr. T from Germany. There you but, go. Uh, Another one I, I want to give a shout out to, which is it's something that means a lot to us, is going on fucking iTunes. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You listen to any fucking podcast, they beg you, they plead you to go on fucking iTunes. Because, once again, said it a million times, no matter how many people fucking listen to this show, 
Everybody's trying to make a buck. We're trying to. I pay. I personally pay for this show. I, I asked Ralph when we first started. I'm like, can you help me out with the cost of this podcast? He said, look, bitch. He goes, you wouldn't even have an audience if it wasn't for me. So you pay for it. And I was like, well, yeah, you got a point. You yeah, know, I, I, pay, I pay you with talent. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know what's so, fucked up is that I, I have a lot of money. <laughs> I know. I come out of pocket with this because I know nobody would listen to it if it wasn't for Ralph. I, I got a little. I got. But, uh, a, I got a little uh, a story to tell you, Ian. Um, when I when I when you you first like paid for this, like I remember you said, "Oh yeah, today I had to put in fifty bucks." I said, "Oh really? Oh man, that's too bad." And then I went in my pocket and I got fifty dollars and I went out my balcony and just threw it out in the air. And I was like, <laughs> instead of giving it to you. Yeah. Well, you know that 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 surprise. I got to pay for big talent, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, so I want to thank his name on iTunes is J Bro Music, and he left just a really really cool uh, really cool review. Said you know basically he came here because he's a Kiss fanatic. Came here because of the Kiss episodes, and those are our biggest fucking episodes. Everybody comes out of the woodwork for the Kiss episodes, uh, but. We don't want to be limited to that. As much as we love Kiss, we're not just going to do Kiss. I mean, how many ones can you fucking do? After you do the albums, what do you do? What's your favorite Mego doll? I mean, come on. I, I mean, we we spread it out here to talk about all the music that we love. Um, but that is our highest rated shows. But he said, you know, he listed a bunch of different uh, shows that he loved, ranging from fucking Anthrax to Led Zeppelin. And I urge a lot of the listeners, if you just tune in for a certain episode and you don't listen to others just because, eh, I don't like that band or that album, check them out. You still might enjoy it and, and might have fun. But uh, Terrence Fernbach, Mr. T from Germany, and J-Bro Music, I want to thank both of you for being supporters of this podcast. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, peace, love, and understanding. And uh, there's many ways to check out the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. And thankfully, a lot of you have been doing it lately because our numbers have been going through the roof, uh, especially on the, on the last two episodes. As always, you can come on podbean.com, check out the show. You can go on iTunes. Let's not forget the contest that's run through the end of January. The fan that has the best, uh, most crazy fucking whatever special fucking... Uh, comment on iTunes will be a guest host on a future show. That contest is running through the end of January. I implore you, if you really want to do this, if you want to be on a show heard world fucking wide, soon to be in the Sony picture uh, picture of the interview, come on, man. Get on iTunes and leave a good fucking review. Also, check out the YouTube page. It's Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, one word, or just follow the link from the Podbean site. Also, as we mentioned... Please check out the Amazon link if you want to buy something. And like I said, please let me know if you've done it so I can make sure this shit's working. Check out Ralph's Bands, Thrasher, Die, and Combat. If you listen on an Android device, if you have an Android phone, an Android <coughs> tablet, go on Podcast Attic. All you have to do is type in our name, hit subscribe, you get every fucking episode. So we want to thank you, and thank you for making this an incredible year. It's hard to believe we've only been this six months, and we are as big as we are right now. Uh, we're fixing to get a lot bigger, people. I'm telling you, there's a lot of amazing shit on the horizon. Oh, yeah. That we just 
that we just can't talk about, but it's going to take this show to the next fucking level. We thank all of you that have been around since the beginning, and we thank all of you who have just joined us. Yes, thank you all. In closing, I want to say thank you for a great year. Thank you for listening. We hope you come back in the new year. And join us next week when we discuss the soundtrack to Footloose. Ew. Hey, I didn't agree to that. All right, but until next year, motherfuckers, this is the Ayatollah Rock and Roll and the Doctor of Fuckness. All right, thank you so much. We'll catch you next year on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Yeah, we are out of the crib. Later.